Um, so I think I'd like to start by uh, offering my appreciation for your practice, for each of you. And uh, I think having met with many of you today and yesterday and I just, uh, and uh, so, so touched and inspired by you and how how we you know we practice together here and we learn and we mm, deepen and so I just feel a lot of appreciation for you for your efforts and um, and uh by way of segue into this evening's theme, I uh, sometimes feel a bit guilty about this that I learn so much from you, like so much wisdom, so much beautiful learning, you know, that's so wonderful. And I just today, some somebody offered me a learning, a fruit of their learning, which I. I found very inspiring and encouraging, and um, I, I asked permission to share it. So um, it was um, concerning the planning mind, which I think many of us <laughs> experience quite a bit at times. And uh, so um, the teaching was well, you know. Um, my my slight paraphrasing here. Planning is is really helpful to some extent, but not ad nauseam. Um, and I like that word because it's like, oh yeah, that's what it can feel like, you know. And then the second part of the teaching was, you know, can't kind of just trust a little more. So that really spoke to me, and I thought I could make a Dharma talk out of things that all of you have said, but I'm not going to do that, um, but I could. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was just one little nugget for me, of, of many. And so the theme I want to reflect on and share a few thoughts on this evening is the theme of Panya, this Pali word which... Uh, it's often translated as wisdom, but I, I really like the the translation uh, discernment, or even seeing, or understanding. Um, so I hope during this talk to just look at maybe some different aspect of what the Buddha was pointing to and what he meant by this panya, this this faculty of the mind to to know to know clearly, to discern, to know this from that. You know, that's so, such a, you know, big part of what we're practicing, isn't it? Do we know, okay, sound, touch, and so on. Like I was aware when we were chanting that my mind went to a thought and I missed a phrase <laughs> and then came back and it was like, yeah, okay, so we're, we're we're learning to see, you know, this from that. Okay, hot, cold, and how much of how much wisdom c- 
can grow from that. So the Buddha, you know, he has this, this teaching, he says, uh, wisdom and consciousness are conjoined. Those of you who want the Sutta reference, I, I do have it. I don't always, but I do in this case. And that wisdom is to be developed and consciousness is to be fully understood. So I'm making this gesture, bringing my fingers together, because what I really want to uh, point to in this talk, maybe, is particularly, is um, that the place wisdom grows is now. I know now isn't really a place, but... So one teacher said, you know, once we've, we've left the domain of the pre present moment, we are no, no longer in the domain of the cultivation of wisdom. So, it's like what is being pointed to here is not, it's conjoined with consciousness, so moments of, of sense contact, yeah. All these thoughts, sounds, impressions, feelings, it's like the wisdom is right there. And at its very basic level, you know, as we practice in the mindfulness, it's knowing a thought is happening. Feeling, sight, sound, you know, uh, and then this wisdom is to be developed right here, right here. So I almost was tempted to offer this evening as a guided guided meditation, but I'm not. But I, I, I feel like I wanted to offer it in that spirit to invite you, if you wish, to kind of you know take it as a. Uh, an exercise or a series of uh, like kind of opportunities to uh, to look at your experience, to see you, to bring a certain kind of understanding to your experience, just as it is, right? As it is here, uh, just moment to moment, whatever's there. So it's a kind of the live exploration. Um, so, uh, yeah, I might be popping in some other, other uh, reflections from other teachers. So, Bhikkhu Bodhi said, to see things as they really are is the work of wisdom. Yeah. So, um, just maybe again, we can't comprehend the, the, the totality necessarily of what is meant, but so, ah, oh, again, hmm, to understand, to see things as they really are. Hmm, that's here now, isn't it? That's in what's happening with that, but it's like, oh, that, that part's to be developed. <laughs> you know, yeah. And um, that it is for our welfare. Again, I think uh, beautiful things of the Buddha's teaching, isn't it? It's all for our welfare and benefit. And this developing this faculty of wisdom and all its different facets, of which we'll just touch on a few this evening, is, uh, is uh, really, again, always linked with the Buddha's primary concern, which is to help us with our dukkha. Well, it's not really ours, but yeah, with the dukkha experience. And this evening I'd like to offer two, or just 
take two particular um, aspects of dukkha or words, English words, we could put on that and remembering that actually the word is, is, is has quite a wide range of meanings, it's used in different ways, in different contexts in the, in the early suttas and so, yeah, again, not, not wishing to be um, exclusive but just would like to particularly focus this evening on dukkha as mental stress, so that's sort of mostly what I'll be kind of referring us to. That, you know, that experience is not at ease in ourself. <sighs> yeah, in different, very subtle ways. We just, yeah, not really uh, in alignment with ourselves. You know, that sense of either very strong or very subtle conflict in the mind and with experience, so that's kind of what I'm wanting to uh, open up as our sort of field of exploration for this for this talk. And so, how do we how do we know? How do we meet our experience? How do we how do we uh, be with the mind? Be with experience in ways that are actually conducive to ease, to alignment, to peace. Right. This is <laughs> so. Um, this uh, faculty of panya of discernment can help us a lot with this, and we will have it. We will use it. As, uh, but um, different ways that we can, many different ways. And again, just touch on a few. Uh, but that it is. Um, always mm, really about uh, or it, it, it can only uh, truly develop when it's uh, close you know this close uh, connection with uh, our experience so uh, three kinds of, of, of learning or ways of developing wisdom or, or layers or levels of that referred to in the discourses. I'd just like to mention them because I thought that actually it's very much reflected in our practice here, maybe during a day, during even just this talk. The first one is pariyati. So this is the wisdom you know, we heard, we studied, we read. Yeah, so that level of concept, idea, kind of, okay, you know, that. So that being, you know, helpful and important to some degree. Um, and then the pati pati, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it exactly right, but that's what it looks like. And this is the level of, we have some understanding and and we apply that. We actually bring it to bear. We actually find a way of, of uh, bringing it to bear on our experience. Yeah. So that that's our practice, isn't it? Different ways. So we we hear it, and we apply it, and then thirdly, pativeda is our realization. Our yeah, realizations, insights, kind of 
clarity and uh, it's at that point maybe where it's more a sense of something that takes us beyond ourselves or something that shows us something new or something that doesn't, oh, that really shifts, you know, the way you understand something. So that area, and, you know, again, talking to you, there's so many beautiful insights and, and realizations that, that are occurring and uh, valuing those. Maybe we're all waiting for the big, the, you know, the kind of big explosion that's all over. Um, I don't, uh, feeling that's uh, how it works for, for at least most people, <laughs> and yeah. So so this process of hearing and then applying and then tasting the fruits of that, so we can all, uh, you know, those so three three areas, three ways in which the wisdom is being cultivated. Um, hmm. So I am actually going to focus on what we you probably all know pretty well as the three characteristics of experience. So as a way, or three ways of allowing the panya to, to grow, to develop, to be, yeah, to be honed, to... So these three very key and core ways, as you well know, that the Buddha would continually, repeatedly point uh, practitioners to, to know. Because seeing and knowing, seeing, understanding uh, these three aspects of all of our experience, right? The, 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 the impermanence, the flowing, the changing nature, we can the sense of the ownerless or kind of lack of any kind of solid, findable, permanent me bit in there, or um, the the dukkha, the dukkhaness, the other meaning of dukkha that I want to use this evening is unsatisfactory. <coughs> and we'll come to that. So I just want to do take us through a little bit of reflection on each three of these aspects of our experience in every moment. And I know that, again, it, I've been hearing it in the interviews, you know, you, you're you all aware of this and, and drawing on this, uh, on this uh, knowledge and you're applying it and you're, you know, reaping the benefits of that in many, many different ways. So maybe maybe another thing to communicate is to, see that you're or it's like this is already happening in in you in your practice and just maybe just highlighting that and so so um obviously these kinds of knowings or insight or this way of of seeing experience like can happen quite spontaneously it can kind of but it can also be something that we very intentionally kind of we okay so that's what I'd, I'd like to to do a bit of this evening is just maybe to for us to tune in together to these three aspects with the sense that and probably you already know this from your own experience as well that these in a, in very small ways or big ways 
these ways of seeing or looking, these ways of understanding or uh, perceiving our experience can be so helpful with the easing of the dukkha, right? The easing of the stress. And this is obviously why the Buddha taught it and why it was emphasized. So, you know, it's so interesting. And I, in preparing for the talk and, and, you know, reflecting on this and kind of going over it again in my own practice and like going, yeah, this is good stuff. <laughs> Which you all know anyway, so... So I'd like to share one key teaching from the Buddha just to kind of have those those words in here with us and then I'll go through. So this is just one example from the suttas where um, the Buddha is um, particularly pointing to these three aspects uh, of, of, ex- of our experience. That, yeah, so... Practitioners, form is impermanent. What is impermanent is stressful. What is stressful is not self. What is not self should be seen as it really is with correct wisdom thus. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. When one sees thus, as it really is, with correct wisdom, the mind becomes dispassionate and is liberated from the taints by non-clinging. Yeah, so... There's a teaching to study and apply for a lifetime, right? Yeah, so... um, So I'd like to spend a little bit of time with uh, kind of the uh, anicca, the impermanence. And... um, Obviously, so many ways of practicing this, of reflecting on this, uh, and I'm sure you all have your own your own ways. Um, that would be a whole other talk or series of talks. But I, I wanted to share two little practices which um, kind of kind of come up for me recently, and that's one of them is there was this. Um, there was this sort of comedy show in England years and years and years ago and they would have these ridiculous sort of sequence of completely unconnected skits. And uh, sometimes between them, there would be a little pause and some little voice or a little thing would pop up and say, and now for something completely different. And uh, I always really liked that bit. Um, (laughs) Something about my mind? And so I developed at some point on retreat, you know, I just developed this little practice of going, and now, this. <laughs> but you could, you could use that and completely different things as well, like mine can work. But that's a kind of, that sense of, and now, this. So, somehow that, in a very simple, a very direct way, and now, 
is. And another, you know, very simple practice that came up for me on one particular retreat where this theme of impermanence was very, very strong was I started to notice and somehow in more and more of a vivid way that when you went for a walk and you got to the end of the walk, the walk had gone. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? (laughs) It's so gone. It's like... But I was there, I went all the way around and like, you know, and it was happening, it was really real and I had that thought and that feeling and there was, it's like, wow, you know, it's the goneness of life, of, huh? it's, even now, where's the beginning of the talk? Yeah, so you can, it can, obviously it can come closer and closer, whereas the beginning of this sentence Where is that gone? So the goneness somehow for me, again, you probably have your own uh, ways, things that have emerged for you through practice, but yeah. So I wanted to share a bit from Ajahn Amaro actually, um, which, uh, so he's offering a certain way into kind of understanding wisdom and particularly in relation to uh, Anicca. So, he says, the quality of knowing an awareness that understands, that sees all of the patterns of experience in terms of evanescent changing phenomena that's wisdom. So this is panya, a quality of knowing, an awareness that understands and sees the patterns of experience in terms of them being evanescent, changing phenomena. So right now I thought I would maybe see how this goes pause for a little bit and see, (laughs) just invite you to to join me and maybe just um, spending some time just being with yourself, noticing your experience and just seeing if, you know, without making a big, you know, like kind of job out of it, (laughs) just seeing what happens if you really just have that intentional interest to see, oh, can I just tune, it's like tuning a dial, maybe on a radio, just tune into the, this Anicca aspect, this, so we're, we're in a way not, we're kind of turning our interest a little from the content to the process. So I might be in more interested, say, in the way the words are, that I'm speaking are, arising and passing. It's like, rather than the meaning, I hope I do keep track of the meaning, otherwise it could get a bit interesting, Um, but being more interested in the changing nature, right? So as you're listening, if you want, you can can almost let go of the meaning. You can almost, you can, I don't know if you've done this, but you can 
can almost start to, it's just sound, sound. Obviously that's a bit easier, so it's meaning, so. So in the impressions, maybe if I just keep talking and nobody tells me to shut up, um, you would have the sound of my voice as, okay, so, and impressions or thoughts or sensations. And just what the sense of what the changingness, the flux, I don't know what word, to just invite you to maybe just I'll be quiet for a, for a few moments and then just let you uh, feel that changing, fluxing, experiencing. So it's a very, just a very brief little pause, but yeah, how how we can actually maybe learn to, uh, as a skill, you know, as a kind of attune to that. Sometimes, yeah, even when the mind is not that still and, you know, mindfulness is not that strong and all that, it still can be so helpful to just tune to the uproar as change, it's like, I can find that in a moment, that can feel very freeing, very something can kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, there is, that's changing too, it's not a fixed, solid thing. So, uh, Tibetan teacher Tsongsa Chamyong Kiense said, if one knows that everything is impermanent, one does not grasp. And if one does not grasp, one will not think in terms of having or lacking, and therefore one lives fully. I think that's such a beautiful, somehow the, the wisdom and then the application and then the fruit, you know, the, the knowing of the flux and the change and then letting that kind of relax our grip and feeling maybe even a little tiny little bit of relief from just, and that sense of how the grasping kind of fuels this sense of, you know, of lack, of, of something wrong or something missing and uh, what a beautiful sense of fully fully living can can occur when that when that fades here and now 
with things just as they are. Hmm. You, you probably often uh, think of and hear the other teachers like seeing or uh, feeling our uh, a world of our experience like weather. A helpful simile, isn't it? Sometimes it's just like kind of changing weather. Yeah. Okay, so let me just kind of leave that there. Although you're very welcome if you like to spend the rest of the talk just kind of hanging out with impermanence, then please feel free. <laughs> just noticing that. So the second aspect of our experience, you know, the Buddha is saying that when you, when you really can taste this, when you can see in this way, it can it can ease, it can it can really uh, help to ease or end the the mental stress, and that is this this sense of things, experience, uh, being either mine yeah, or me or there's an I that's sort of doing it or somehow there's some kind of sort of self those are the maybe some of the main uh, sort of con- conceptual sort of formations and so I just wanted to mention a few of the ways that I play around with this I think it's quite an interesting one to uh, you know, because again, how do you translate the teaching? You know, you hear it, you go, oh, right, okay. How, how do we apply it? How do we understand it? How do we actually bring it into our experience? You know, and I think that takes us some ways. You probably have your ways, but it can take to you know, some playful or some, some uh, experimenting to, to see. So uh, some people find it helpful to... So here you are in your field of experience. Okay, right. So, who? Who, who, who is this? I'm just dropping in a question like that, right? Or, like, hmm. Or, like, who, whose is this? Like, where's that one? Right, or, oh, where, where, where am I in all this? Right, and the, the power of these questions, at least in my experience, is that they are—they actually don't have answers. And what they do is they point, and then you can't find. There's the, the then there's an opening to the sort of well, um, uh, is that, mm, no, it's not that. It's not there. Is it there? No, I can't find it. Well, it feels a bit like ah, okay, feels sense of me, sense of oh that thought. Well, that had an eye in it, so, oh, right, yeah. Oh, ooh, oh, that sense of self as, you know, demented or dented or, you know, substandard. Oh, ooh, yeah, I know that one. So it's not that there aren't these experiences of self-consciousness. Oh, I really can see me. Um... Yeah, so so for me, what's been so helpful is to practice seeing the me sense. 
I, you know, I, I've got to sort this out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah. Hmm. So that doesn't work. So what's, what does that say about the reality of this I thing that thinks it can sort of, you know, go around making everything behave and everybody? <laughs> so... Maybe there's some playful, slightly theatrical thing that can creep in there, but it's very, very subtle as well, isn't it? Sometimes like, it can be different for each of us. Maybe particular thoughts, stories, particular body sensations, you know, like everything else is floating and, yeah, I'm open and there's no self and then, but except for that bit. Oh, God, yeah, that's, oh, that's really me. That's been there since the beginning of time. <laughs> and it's never going to go away. That's me, it's mine, that's, you know, those sort of familiar stuck places and sort of nauseatingly familiar tensions and, you know, the idea, oh, this is me. It's so convincing, isn't it? Because it's always been there. Has it? Is it always there? Has it always been, and it, you know, has it always been exactly the same? So you can start kind of again bringing some questions around that. Oh, but for me also, it can be just this simple, oh, if I, if I just, you know, you can make it a note rather than a question, not me. Oh, not me, not mine. Oh, what would life be like? I could be, I would feel pretty good actually. <laughs> it's just something happening. You know, what if it wasn't me or mine? Mm. So, again, you know, you have to find what your chitta, you know, like the great simile of the wise cook and the king approaching the king with broccoli, realizing the king doesn't like broccoli, so next, next day you bring him asparagus. Likes asparagus, okay. This is a simile for the chitta. The heart mind is very sensitive and it kind of, to some extent, isn't it? It's kind of idiosyncratic. So, you know, like, what is it like? Maybe it'll like one of these questions and, or it will just get the question and chew it, spit it out and say, no, thank you. That doesn't work. There. So, finding ways. Another way I've found really helpful um, kind of connects with the sense of um, seeing or feeling or understanding the experience, the mind-body experience as energy. Energy. Just human energy. Energy is like, ooh. It's got kind of, it goes slower, it goes quicker, it goes up, it goes down, it goes crazy, it gets very, very quiet, it goes to sleep. <laughs> it's human energy taking different shapes, sometimes very, very disturbing shapes, if, you know, the hindrance and the demons and all that. Sometimes very beautiful, beautiful shapes, like the Brahma Viharas and Samadhi and, you know, love and, ah, oh, beautiful human energy taking different shapes and forms. And a uh, teacher called Cherry, Sherry Huber wrote, when I realize that human beings have energy that passes through the body, stirring up all sorts of sensations and feelings, I'm free to be present 
responding to life as it unfolds. Uh, so, again, you know, it's also connected, I think, a bit with the elemental practice, the elements, both the sense of the body, the earthness of it, the fire, the air, the mobility, the watery, the cohesion, cohesion of it, but also the way those elements manifest into the mental realm. Yeah, and the mind feels fiery, or you know, it's like, oh, hot, or the mind feels kind of, you know, watery, soupy, you know, like sludgy, or the mind feels uh, sort of mobile, flexible, or it feels kind of like rigid, kind of, you know, sort of hard, right? So, in those sorts of explorations for me, it's like the whole sense of this being me, I, it's like, it sort of becomes a little bit irrelevant, right? It's just, hmm, something happening. And it's here, and it's, yeah, it's our field of exploration, and it's also our field of blessing. So this, also I had the sense of, to see this, whatever this is, this human experience of oh, as a precious, like a precious life form. Yeah, to, 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 oh, you know, a precious, amazing, mysterious life form, kind of, oh, you know, and then that sense of wonder and what on earth is going on here? You know, <laughs> like, what is this life? What is this experience, really? I don't know. Do you know? <laughs> well, sometimes I think I know. Maybe sometimes I do know. <laughs> and then it's it, it's somehow opening things up so that, yeah, so these are just some ways, I hope, this sort of, that, that we can see, see our experience in ways that help. And these three particularly powerful uh, ways that are very directly undermining the processes of suffering, the processes of clinging, solidification and clinging and resistance. Yeah. So, if we can find ways that make sense to us, to to open that up, will be for our long-term benefit and happiness. Okay. So. Again, we're staying in the field of experience, hang in there for a little bit longer. We're going to go round maybe to the side and look, see if we can see the the unsatisfactory aspect. <laughs> so this again, it's this way of seeing this this panya of um seeing, understanding, knowing and awareness that is saturated or informed by this wisdom that ah, experience in this conditioned realm is not capable of providing us with what we often want from it without really, really realizing what we're doing. Yeah, so thoughts, sights, sounds, tastes, touches, the whole of our whatever we can experience, 
wonderful, horrible, like this, like that. It's not, it cannot provide us with any, any kind of real, lasting, tangible, as I wrote down, salvation. <laughs> you know, and I think, I don't know, I, I, I once had this great realization at the end of a retreat years ago that, that at Gaia House in England, and I announced to the, you know, we had a closing circle at the end of the retreat, and I announced to the assembled yogis that I now understood that Gaia House could not save me and it felt like quite a bold statement and was a kind of an insight for me that that you know how many ways do we do that in our life with people places and with within our own being you know, if I, if I could just get rid of that and move that and shift that and sort that out and uproot that and uh, then <laughs> I'll be alright and then I can be happy. It's like, you know, postponing everything. And and there's some, there's some truth in that. It's like, it's a kind of, it's like a little grain of truth, but it's it's like if we continue in the delusion that we can manipulate, control conditions, either inwardly or outwardly, to kind of, you know, get there. Right, got it, arrived, done. You know, what is that? What is that? It's, just, it's, it's not, because, because of yeah, the anicca and the anatta, that how can anything be really graspable? <laughs> let alone, you know, ultimately satisfying and, I don't know, it's just, so for me as a practice, sometimes I say, can I, what happens, okay, question, like, what happens when you just relax, if you could just relax, if maybe right now, the demand that conditions somehow get it together for you. To me, that there's a real joy and relief, and somehow, oh, you mean, oh, so the the peace and the happiness that the Buddha is pointing to is, oh, wow, okay, it's something about being with this, seeing this, understanding in these ways, understanding that I can stop putting pressure on conditions to be a certain way. Oh. Phew. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I don't know how this, how this sort of works for you or touches you, but sometimes I've heard Christina Feldman talk about it as, it's like a re rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Kind of like that. <laughs> you know, it's like, what happens if you stop rearranging the deck chairs? Like, oh. Right. So, so the 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 unsatisfying. Do you see the unsatisfyingness? Understanding that really directly. Again, we're kind of trying to directly sense that, see that. It can you see it, what it turns? It turns us towards. What does that turn us towards? 
Yeah. I think for me it turns it turns us towards nibbana. It turns us towards non-clinging. It turns us towards relief. <sighs> that we don't have to continue with this battle, this inner battle. We can actually. There is a way of being at peace with experience of mental stress, easing, and when that happens, our life can be full and responsive and compassionate and joyful. And not wanting to set that up as some kind of ideal, but again, going back to that, just to keep faith with the cultivation um, that it's here and now in the way we are with whatever's happening, which is, you know, sort of like the good news and the bad news, isn't it? <laughs> it does not, doesn't matter so much what's happening, it's how we're relating to it, how we're understanding it. And in that, in a moment, yeah, in a moment there can be a transformation and a letting go. And uh, so I'll just close these reflections with the heartfelt wish that each of us uh, take to heart the, the teachings and find our own ways of understanding and applying them for, for our benefit and the benefit of all beings everywhere. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.